0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church sermon audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Well, thank you, Church. Uh, I, I, last night was uh, last night was good, but I just told James. I said, I, I, "Can I be honest with you? I prefer what I what we experienced tonight. Um, we live in." Uh, we live in Tennessee and so we're there with my wife's family but then when we get a chance to come back to North Carolina we get to spend time with my family and when we're there there's uh there's stories that get told you know when you're when you're together with family there's those stories that get they get told they get brought up again and we all have a good hearty laugh about and then new stories are told and new memories are made and and uh cutting up and and picking back and forth and and knowing those little uh fun times and jabs to have and you know th- that family time is is things that you just you just long for to go back to and uh what i think about is is i want to thank you for allowing me to be part of your family time tonight that's what i got out of i mean this is like family worship really I mean, don't lose, don't ever lose you know, there's some churches that get so wrapped up and serious minded that whenever you get up here, somebody doesn't like feel comfortable to to, to say, make a comment. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. That's, that's, that's a, a a very special atmosphere that, uh, I I really have enjoyed here tonight. And and the, the songs were fantastic. And thank you so much for, for singing, uh, this, this evening. And, um, if you'll go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. James, did you take that book uh, out of here? Did you grab a copy? Okay, so uh, the book that uh, many of you got a copy of it uh, out there on the, the, um, the Welcome Center. Uh, the book is called Gentle and Lowly, and it's by Dane Ortland. Um, let me just say this real quick. I believe that God's people should be readers. And I know not all of us have that muscle exercised very well, and some of us do. Uh, Can I tell you something? I went through college and high school uh, without reading a book. (laughs) I was not a reader. And then uh, God got a hold of my heart. I read a book, and then it changed my life, and then I said, I need the next one. And uh, now my wife is telling me that I can't buy any more books until I read the ones that are on my shelf. And... um, and so I, I, I come to the conclusion that I, I really do believe God's people should be readers. One of those reasons is because the message that he's given, us, given to us is in what form? It's a book. The God of all creation, the all-powerful, all-sovereign God could have given us in any media form the message that he wanted us to have it in, and he chose to give it to us in a book. So I, I want to encourage you and challenge you at the same time that if reading is not a muscle that you exercise regularly, I want to encourage you and challenge you to start doing that. And a great book to start with would be that book out there, Dane Ortland. Um, the association that I am uh, getting my uh, finishing up my certification with with Biblical Counseling, the ACBC. Um, there is a uh, leading counselor in there that is is very um, influential in putting out resources. And one of the things that he likes to do is review resources for counselors uh, every year. And he puts out a top 10 list every year of these are the books that you need to be using to help people that come into your office. And his number one book for 2020 on his list, whenever he did it this past January, was the number one book of the year in, that, that was put out in Christendom was Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortlund. Uh, he really believed that book is, is fantastic. And so I want to encourage you to uh, get it as well. Many of you have already got your copy and uh, read it. And maybe, I don't know if James, if I have the uh, authority to say this, but uh, if you want to take an extra copy and pass it along to somebody that's not here, I'm sure that would be helpful to them as well. Um, But let's go ahead this evening and get into our text tonight. We are going to talk about a situation or we're going to talk about an issue that I believe is probably one of the um, underlying problems for many uh, and and sort of one of those seed issues that then develop into many other problems. And uh, this is the issue of contentment or we could say it this way, discontentment. So what I want to do tonight is first, I want to read our passage, and then sort of like we did last night, we're going to come back to Philippians throughout the message, but we are going to jump around and go to a couple of verses, because I, I really do uh, believe that it's important, not for me just to just quote to you the passage, but that for you to see those verses with your eyes, and, and, and Ethan's up there doing a fantastic job of getting them on the screen as well, uh, so uh, I may just call out the passage to him. and. Instead of trying to turn it there, just wait for him to put it on there. I'm just joking, man. I'm not going to put that kind of pressure on you. (laughs) And uh, so Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to go to verse 19. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1, and we're going to go to verse 19. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved I entreat you, Odia, and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received or you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This passage is uh, really, we could do an entire series on this passage because there's just so much here. I actually uh, used this passage just uh, the other week. Uh, in a session with someone that was just struggling and, and getting discouraged with what they were going through and we just walked through it really quickly. There is just so many rich truths from this passage, but I do want to zero in and probably one of the issues that you that jumped out at you and probably a verse that uh, you have heard before from behind the pulpit and that is uh, the verse that is in uh, verse number 11. I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Content. We live in a time where the, our society and our culture is constantly fighting your desire for contentment. Everything that exists out there in, in culture is trying to tell you to be discontent. In fact, the interesting thing is, is uh, uh, this, this idea of social media. Um I don't know if you've if you've watched this, but if you have if you're a parent or a parent of a teenager, I strongly encourage you to watch a documentary that is out on uh, the platform Netflix right now called the Social Dilemma. You really need to watch that and take that in and, and it'll help you be informed to exercise wisdom with your young person in this area. But one of the things that they they were talking to former, um, uh, employees and, and tech designers for some of these major tech companies, Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And these guys all helped them design these types of platforms. And the interesting thing is, is they tell you in the documentary with their own mouths that they, their conscience got the better of them and they could no longer continue to work for those companies knowing what it was doing to society and how they were influencing people. And one of the things that they they address in there is about how these computers that they have designed, they actually uh, explain to you how it's artificial intelligence that watches as you are on your device. It is recording how long down to the millisecond you are looking at any certain or given thing, whether you're listening to it or how long you're glancing at it. And then companies are paying top dollar for them to and their algorithms to then take those things and continue to push that in your face so you will buy those things and those products. It is absolutely insane, almost to the point of manipulating an entire society. And all of it is at the root of the idea of making you discontent, to want more. And this is something that we fight in our inner self all of the time. We see it all around us. We see it with family members. We see it with with friends and, and things that make us discontent. And a lot of times, many times, when we come to this subject, we're thinking really about one avenue of contentment, aren't we? Because you think I'm going to come up here and I'm going to talk to you about how you need to stop desiring material things. That's not what I'm going to do tonight. Because I think the area of contentment has a lot more to do than just that thing you wish you could buy. I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes much deeper than that. Our hearts, John Calvin said this, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. Think about that. Our fallen nature gives way to really easily developing Things that we actually want to spend our time with. And what happens is, is whenever we are spending an inordinate amount of times on that particular thing or that particular person, it can be called or it can be it can come to be an idol in our hearts. This is sort of the idea that we're going to we're going to focus in on as we talk about the subject of contentment. But when we talk about contentment, what is the opposite of contentment? Well, you'd probably say, well, you've already said it, discontentment, right? But the Bible, it's interesting, the Bible actually does not, that never translates any word that comes out in our English language of discontentment. The actual Bible term that we have to give us an idea of what the opposite of contentment is, is covetousness. Now, we're familiar with that word, right? If we've gone up and spent any time in church, covetousness or coveting is actually a term that we are familiar with. Well, that is the opposite, biblically, of contentment, is covetousness. I'm going to jump over to Hebrews 13.5 and, and show you a passage that is actually quoting Joshua 1.5 and Ecclesiastes 5.10. And Hebrews 13.5, it says... Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We always know that part right there. That's that's an often quoted passage, right? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we missed the beginning of it. Keep your life free from love of money and be content. Be content. Lou Priolo said this. Covetousness... ...is our inordinate desire to have more than what God has seen fit to give us. Think about that. Covetousness covetousness is our inordinate desire to want more than what God has seen fit to give us. And this can be a whole lot more than just material things. Could it be more recognition? And I'm saying this as I studied this message whenever I was preparing for it and, and pre- preached it at, at, our, at our church. I really stopped and examined my own heart. Where are the areas that God wants to deal in my own heart of where I may be struggling with discontentment? And I had to get real honest. Is it Knowledge. I just told you about sort of how I got excited about uh, reading. And, and one of the things that uh, I, I feel like I, I've told this to James, this is sort of silly. But I wish uh, I could implant like a USB port in the back of my head and just like upload all of the information from all the books that I want to read. I want all the knowledge right now. <laughs> I think that can play out whenever I hear or I'm listening to someone going to some, uh, uh, asking questions to some speaker or some preacher about the current event and wh- how we should think as Christians. And my discontentment arises when I say, "Why do I care what that guy thinks? Why aren't they asking me?" You see what, what is what is happening there when that happens? It's not just discontentment. Discontentment is the root. ...of the cause, but then it starts to spring forth in all kinds of other ugly sins, does it not? Jealousy? Envy? And so I had to search my own heart. What is it that I'm discontent? Is it recognition? Is it wanting people to recognize that uh, I have things that can help them and come to me? It's funny, the things that we want at the time, once we get them, we don't want them anymore. Because then that started to happen. I'm like, I just want five minutes. <laughs> See, discontentment is a is an evil slave master. Why? Because it never satisfies. It never satisfies. Luke twelve, fifteen. Let me turn over there real quick. Luke twelve fifteen. Luke 12, verse number 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on guard against all covetousness. Do you think Jesus realized that this was a problem that we all will face in our own hearts? I want to give you seven principles tonight, and I'm going to, I'm going to go quickly because I, I, I did I, I cut some things out uh, for sake of time. But I want to give you seven principles tonight to take home for dealing with uh, this area of contentment. The first thing I want to give you tonight is this. contentment. Contentment is realizing that God has already provided everything that a person needs to glorify and enjoy Him. Contentment is realizing that God has already provided everything that a person needs to glorify and enjoy Him. I can't remember if I said this on Sunday morning, but what is our purpose? What is our purpose? One of the best things that has been summed up by humans and understanding the purpose of man from the will of God was, was done in the 1600s through the Westminster Catechism. And it said this... The chief end of man. Or if we can say it in a way we can understand a little bit better. The entire purpose for your being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Think about that. The purpose for you being here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that show? This is one of the problems I think we have in modern day Christendom. We have an evangelical Christianity. It's this. That we think, and I think this is, this, is, this is given away to our young people when our young people think this. And this is why they leave church. That to glorify God, it's not fun. Or to glorify God, or to walk with God, or to live for God in our life, that it is not enjoyable. But it's the opposite. Because in truly glorifying God with your life, you enjoy life. And you enjoy him forever. First Timothy, chapter six, verse six says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain." That is true gain. Godliness with contentment, glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. There is a pastor. Uh, well, he's not. He's, he's retired now, but he used to pastor in Minnesota. Who's wrote uh, several books uh, throughout his career? His name is John Piper, and one of the first books that he ever wrote was being considered sort of his signature work for his life, and it was called Desiring God. In that book, he plays off this idea that the, uh, they, they came up with in the 1600s of, of glorifying God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And John Piper took that idea and he, then he broke it down and, and fleshed it out a little bit more. And he said this, he said, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. I I highly encourage you to pick that book up, Desiring God by Piper, and and read that. Because he then takes that principle and begins to flesh it out in every chapter of the book. How God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in Him. And this goes back, can can I say this? This goes back to what we were talking about Sunday morning. That in order to be satisfied in God, you have to know God. And you have to know him how he has revealed himself through his word. Contentment, then, is realizing that God has already provided everything that a person needs to glorify him and enjoy him. Do we realize that? Better yet, do we believe that? Because, watch this, if God's purpose for your life is to glorify him and enjoy him... Do you not think that he would provide you with everything you need to accomplish that? To accomplish glorifying him and enjoying him. Priolo says this again. If you are content, you have, by God's grace, the inner resources to face living without those outward things that others depend on for their happiness. Think about that. If you are content, you have already, by God's grace, the inner resources to face living without those things that others depend on for their happiness. I guess here's the uh, uh, $64,000 question tonight. What is it in your heart have you elevated to the stature that if you don't have it, you're not happy? Second Corinthians 9, 8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What is that saying? I've given you everything you need to accomplish what you need. You have it. So what are the inner resources? I'm going to go through these really quickly, all right? So the first one is he's given you the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, just write these references down. We'll move on for the sake of time instead of looking every single one of them up tonight. The Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit inside of you at conversion. Ephesians 3.16. The internalized word of God in Ephesians 6.17. Faith in the living sovereign God in Ephesians 6.16. Prayer in Ephesians 6.18. 6, if you know your Bibles, you know that those passages, all of those passages right there, are, are what we classify as what the armor of God. Those are the resources He's given you already: truth and wisdom, as we as given to us in Colossians two three, a thankful heart, Philippians four six through seven, hope, Romans fifteen thirteen. I was I was uh, James allowed me to have a room here at the church today. Uh, so I could uh, do a counseling session with um, a lady that I'm working through and um, someone who uh, has really experienced quite a bit of abuse in her life and um, has, has gone through a lot of scripture. We've gone through a lot of things. We've worked through some things already, and, uh, but she was coming up on, a, on, a, on two weeks where just discouragement has hit. And she asked me the question, is there hope that I'm going to get past this? These memories that keep coming up that flood my mind of all of these things that have been done to me. And she said, it's just been a hard two weeks. And she asked this question. Listen, I I appreciate the scriptures that we've been going over, but she said, is there hope? ...that this is going to end. Because for her it was... ...it's, it's getting almost unbearable. And so I, I just I said... ...I'm going to answer you as honest as I can. What we're working through... ...has nothing to do with trying to erase... ...or forget what has happened to you. It's not about that. In fact, most of the efforts by people... ...to get through the suffering or abuse or pain that they've gone through... ...all has to do with trying to erase and forget it. The the common method is, is one that many of you are probably familiar with... ...with either loved ones that's been through it or maybe in your past... ...which is substance abuse, right? They try to drown out the pain and forget it. There actually is an official way that they try to do this... Uh, I had to study this aspect of it. And I, I, I'll tell you at the, uh, the front end, I'm extremely appalled by it. Uh, and real, uh, didn't realize until I started studying this that it was actually really practiced. I thought it was sort of a joke. But it's, it's electroshock therapy. It's, it's a real thing and it is practiced across this country by people that have classified them and, and gotten education as actual clinical psychologists. And when I studied this, it actually angered me. Here's what they do: when someone is going through something that they cannot, they struggle with so hard, and they just want to forget. uh, Sometimes, if they can't get past and therapy's not working, then electro electroshock therapy is actually what is uh, what they do. And this is how they do: they go to a hospital, they get them in a room, and they actually sit, uh, lay them down, and they actually shoot electricity into their brain, into their head. It's torture. To me, it is traumatizing the brain. Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to, uh, att- they're really trying to traumatize your brain that will actually black out those things. It's, it's really a, 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 a trial and error. The word's is escaping me to, to say what it is because they don't know if it's actually going to work when they do it. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a Russian roulette type of thing. It's, it's like, let's try this. Then three days later, once you recover, now do you remember? Yes, I still remember. Oh, well, maybe we need to do another treatment. I can't believe that that is practice. I think that it needs to be outlawed. But I sympathize with those who are submitting themselves to it. Because I get why they want to forget. But can i can going to tell you something. That is not God's way of how we handle our past. See, one aspect in popular theory of handling your past is just completely forget it. Another one is the idea of just completely accept your past, own your past, and then don't apologize for your past. Well, that's not biblical either. Because the Bible never encourages us to be, uh, uh, to be uh, happy about those things that we've done wrong. Now, the biblical framework for handling your past is redeeming it. Redeeming it. It means processing what has happened to you and then allowing God to take that and use you to help someone else. This is where Romans 8, 28 comes in. We know that all things, all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according to His purpose. That's, that's not a trite verse. That is... The sovereign hand of God working in your life. I feel like I've gotten a little bit off topic there, but sorry, I saw that aspect of hope and it really just sort of gripped my heart because I was dealing with that today. Um, what are some of the other inner resources? A disciplined mind, 2 Timothy 1 7, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5 and 23, and Christian character, 1 Peter 3 through 4. These are what God has supplied to you to accomplish your purpose in glorifying Him. God promised to provide not for all of your wants, but what did verse 19 in Philippians 4 say? All of your needs. Number two, contentment is realizing that true satisfaction can come only from building one's life around those things that cannot be taken away or destroyed. Think about that. All right, let me read it again. Contentment is realizing that true satisfaction can come only from building one's life around those things that cannot be taken away or destroyed. Where do you find that? Where is the only place you can find those things that cannot be taken away or destroyed? In Christ. Listen, I do not want to be... Um, unkind or unsympathetic especially because I understand I have family members who uh, have lost loved ones. However, I think when we were talking about earlier about something like, like idols in our hearts I believe one thing that we have to be concerned about and on guard about is that, that our lives are not wrapped around another person. I'm trying to say that in a way that's not as stinging as it is, but I'm I'm trying to be as truthful as I can with you tonight. See, one way that you know that you have taken something or someone and that thing or someone has become an idol in your heart is if you're willing to sin to keep it. Let me say that again. One of the ways that you know that that thing or that someone has become an idol in your heart is if you're willing to sin to keep it. Grief is completely appropriate. You know how we know that? Just look at John chapter 11. Jesus Christ is God, who knew Lazarus was going to die, right? Knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But what did he do whenever he found out Lazarus had died? He wept. That is, listen, you want to talk about profound? Spend some time in that shortest verse of the Bible, and and just think about how the sovereign of the universe grieved and he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. You know what that teaches us? It teaches us that grief is appropriate. However, devastation is not. Because devastation signifies that we have wrapped up our identity and something that can be taken away. Uh, please understand my heart here. I do, I do care... And I do understand that, can I say this? I talk to James every week. I do understand that this congregation, this church family, has experienced quite a bit of loss here lately. But we have to be very careful and on guard with where our hearts are at as it concerns with even others. I had a lengthy quote that I was going to read to you by Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan. And he talked about this, and he actually is very much more pointed than I was in talking about how the loss of a child can really derail someone. And it almost seems cold and very unkind until you realize they were living in a time when Thomas Watson wrote that quote. They did not have the medical advances that we have today. You're talking about a people who face loss every day how many of you have ever heard of the name Matthew Henry Matthew Henry Matthew Henry is mainly known in church circles because of his commentary on the entire Bible that still is around the day because it's that good. He was a Puritan in the 1600s I'll tell you something about Matthew Henry Matthew Henry had six kids only one of them lived to be 20. in fact they had Four, three or four, I may be off on this, but three or four baby girls right in a row, and they all died in infancy. They understood loss. And you know why they understood loss? And this is what it drove them to. Some of the most amazing counsel you can get is picking up some Puritan writings because these people needed a faith that was real because they were going through it. I need to move quicker. To put more stock in or to seek pleasure in or to put more confidence in or to place more value on temporal things than internal ones is to set oneself up for tremendous dissatisfaction, if not utter de- devastation, if those things are taken away or destroyed. Number three, contentment is delighting in God more than in anything else. Contentment is delighting in God ...more than in anything else. Psalm 37, 4 says... ...delight yourself in the Lord... ...and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is not a give or take. This is not a try to use God as my genie... ...to get what I want. You know what this is? When you're delighting yourself in the Lord... ...your desires become in line with His desires. And when your desires are in line with His desires... ...He'll give you those desires... The problem comes is that most of the time our desires are our desires and they're not in line with his because we're not even thinking about delighting ourselves in God. So contentment is delighting in God more than anything else. Can I say this? It is not wrong to find happiness in other things. It's not wrong. I enjoy football. I enjoy football. Me and James, that's one of the things we really have in common. We love football. I told him last month, I was like, man, I am ready for some football. It's, give us some football to watch and just enjoy. I like football. I like good food. I like barbecue. Can I tell you one of the things that I was excited about coming to North Carolina because I grew up here was you guys know how to do barbecue and you know how to do a cheeseburger. Man, in Tennessee, they don't know anything about putting coleslaw and chili on a cheeseburger. And it's a shame. It really is. I enjoy good food. I enjoy having a good time with my family and my kids. I enjoy laughing. I, I Listen, I, I like superheroes. I like Marvel. I like DC. I like watching, sitting down with my kids and watching a good comic book movie and, and something like that. We love that kind of stuff. My kids, I love watching my kids get excited about the, you know, they're, they're trying to do a farm on our little acre of land. And they got chickens and all this stuff. And, and I like seeing them get excited about the animals. And, and they're, they're trying to get me to get them a snake right now. And I'm not going to enjoy that. Uh, not gonna, that's not going to happen. But I, I, there are things. Listen, it is not wrong to enjoy things. We all have things that we may consider a hobby or things we enjoy doing with our time. That's not wrong. In fact, God gave us, and Timothy says that he gave us all things richly to enjoy. It is actually, can I say this? And I'm not being blasphemous here. Enjoying those things that God has supplied us in this world is a form of worship. Okay? We can glorify God in enjoying those things. Now watch this. It is not wrong to find happiness in other things. The problem is when we either seek happiness from things God forbids or seek happiness in things God allows that's where it messes up. That's where the imbalance happens. Are you seeking your happiness through that thing? I just said, I, I love spending time with my kids. I love enjoying their time. I love them. I love watching them laugh. I mean, as a parent, there is probably I, I, I get in trouble just a little bit too much. Maybe I should like keep the disciplinary. Mary tells me all the time, you get them right where you need them, and then you make a joke and make them laugh. I just, it's, it's a flaw in me, I know, but I love to see them laugh. The problem in my heart would be that I'm seeking happiness through my children. Maybe some parents needed to hear that. The problem may be, ask yourself in your heart, are you seeking your happiness through your kids? Even the adult ones. If that's the case, you may have an idol problem. Contentment is delighting in God more than in anything else. So what is it that you are delighting in? What is it that you think you cannot be happy without? What do you desire or long for? What do I spend most of my spare time thinking about? What do I worry most about losing? What do I worry most about losing? I'm going to move on to the next slide. I have some points there on how to dethrone this, but I, I'm, I'm going to move on quickly. Number four, contentment is, is being able to adjust the level of one's desires to the condition and purpose chosen for them by God. Contentment is being able to adjust the level of one's desires to the condition and purpose chosen for them by God Paul talks about that we read that in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 through 12 he says I know what being hungry is and I know what having abundance is some of you in here can I say this and I say this in all of the respect possible because I love you some of you that have uh, uh, gray hair or white hair are in here you probably understand what Paul is saying there more than some of us do Because I guarantee you if we could sit you down and just have a nice conversation with you, you could tell us about times throughout your years of, yeah, there were times of plenty. And then there were times of great need. And you could probably encourage us and say, you know what? God saw us through all of it. That's why I love church. I love church families. Because can I encourage the young people here? And I'm talking about the young couples here. Really get involved in the lives of some of these older saints. Ask them questions. Not just how was your week or, you know, you say, well, I don't have anything in common. We totally do two totally different things. No, you got a lot in common. You went through life. You're going through life. They've been there. Ask them how they handled things. Ask them if they could give you two lessons, two things that in their years, and they're still married, that would be helpful for you. This is the beauty of a church, is that you have all of this life experience together and grow together. Through this, I believe that you can learn some contentment. The next two points that we have come actually straight from Jeremiah Burroughs, who is a Puritan. He wrote in about 400 years ago a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And I want to read these to you, the number five Contentment is willingly submitting to and delighting in God's wise and loving disposal in every condition of life. That's hard. That's, that's Job Christianity right there. Right? Job lost everything in an instant. His kids, his business, his enterprise, his possessions. And what was he? What did he say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We know the verse because we've heard it a hundred times. But there's a difference between knowing those words and believing those words in your heart whenever loss hits. And maybe we need to meditate on that and believe that. Are we leaning into the sovereignty and wisdom of God in our circumstances? I preached through the book of Job once, and the thing that sort of really gripped me about the book of Job, check this out. We know the story of Job, right? Satan comes, and Satan like, they has this little bargain with God and says, you know, you let me do what, you, what I want to this guy, and he'll curse you. And God said, nope, let him do it, because I know he won't. I mean, you think about that. Think about the idea of God having the confidence in you. Would that not be amazing? He's like, God's like, go ahead, try your best. Because I love this servant of mine so much, I know he won't turn his back on me. You get to the end of the book, and it's at the happy ending, right? Job gets everything restored. And we're thinking, this is a great story, a great ending. You know what Job never finds out? What we know. Job never finds out while he was living that there was a conversation between God and Satan. We we say it like this. Why? Job never found out the why. Never. You know, sometimes, most of the time, we won't know the why. So, you know, I think that was sung about at least three times tonight. Trusting God. I think that that one song, The Eye of the Storm. Trusting God. We need to get a, a healthy understanding of God's sovereignty and His control over what's going on. Number six, contentment is knowing how to use the things of the world without being engrossed in them. Contentment is knowing how to use the things of the world without being engrossed in them. Let me hasten. Number seven, contentment is thanking God, even in circumstances in which one used to murmur and complain. In the same book, Philippians, it says in chapter two, verse fourteen, "Do all things without grumbling or disputings." In 1 Thessalonians five eighteen, it says, "Give thanks always, or give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." I remember when I was a teenager, one of the things that frustrated me so much was the will of God. I was so concerned, I wanted to do the will of God for my life. What is God's will for my life? Who am I supposed to marry? Who, what, what job am I supposed to have? What's my career? Where am I supposed to go to college? It was so frustrating. I wanted to know God's will. You know what? God lays out in his word seven things that you can confidently take to the bank that is exactly his will for your life. One of them is this. Give thanks. Give thanks. It is God's will for you to be thankful. I I have a message that I I do on the will of God, and it's it's a good study. Do a word study of the will of God to help with that. So, contentment is thanking God, even in circumstances in which one used to murmur and complain. All right, so I want to finish tonight with Philippians chapter 4. Go back to Philippians chapter 4, how to find true contentment. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to learn from Paul here real quick how to put this into action. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned. True contentment can be learned. This is encouraging to me on on two different facets. Number one, there's hope that I can be content. I can learn this. You know what else encourages me about this? Is that Paul struggled with it too. You think about the apostle Paul. What did he say? He said, this is Paul speaking, I learned to be content. What does that tell us? That at one point, Paul was not content. (laughs) We actually saw that in, in that passage in Corinthians, where he said, will you take this away from me, God? And God said, no. Paul had to learn contentment. And eventually he did. This is encouraging because I know I can learn to get there as well. Just as Paul did. True contentment can be learned. True contentment, number two, is not controlled by your circumstances. True contentment is not controlled by your circumstances. I know to be abound. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. So when we look around at our circumstances, we are not governed by our circumstances with our contentment. This is something that we have established before those circumstances hit. Therefore, whether they're good or they're bad, that contentment is there. And then number three, true contentment is found in Christ alone. Look at verse 13. Verse 12, he says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is verse 13? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I think somebody had a mug one time, a coffee mug says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. (laughs) So many Christian school annuals have this as their life verse I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And so many people take that verse right there and they say, I can do whatever I want to do. I can accomplish this amazing feat through Christ who strengthens me. That is not what that verse is talking about. Okay? Please, let me help you with that. That is not what that verse is. Context is important. And what is that verse telling us in that context? Actually, I think it's much more encouraging for you than what that meaning is. What have we been talking about this whole time? Those struggles in life, those problems, those things that grip your heart, that struggle with you with contentment. And what is he saying? He's saying, I can get through this. The loved one that, has been lo- that, 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 that you lost. That, that struggle with anxiety, that struggle with depression. You look at the, the whole chapter in context. What is he talking about? Be anxious about, do not be anxious about anything in verse 6. Uh, he's talking about the peace of God three or four times. These things that we struggle, and he gets to verse 13, and what does he say? I can get through all of this. I can do all things through what? Through who? Christ. See, what he's saying in Philippians 4.13 is that the key to get through life as hard as it is, is Christ. It's not saying you can go, uh, you know, accomplish some, you know, amazing (laughs) goal and win some kind of trophy because Christ strengthens you. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, no, I've equipped you with everything you need to live this life in me. Rebecca uh, Makatansky is a biblical counselor. She wrote this, When we walk through our days in Christ's strength, instead of our own, we learn contentment and are able to enjoy life's summers and endure life's winters with patience and joy. So I guess if I can encourage you with anything tonight, it's this. Learn contentment. Take these truths. Get into Philippians chapter 4. Read it daily. Master this chapter and learn true contentment by putting on Christ in your everyday life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for the truth that Paul has given us in Philippians. We thank you for all the the many things that you have blessed us with. And Father, we thank you for your almighty hand and control that you have Even in those things that we don't understand, we don't see the end. We don't see because it's clouded by so much of a weight or a storm that is going on in our life at the time. Father, help us not to get distracted, but help us to find our peace in your glory, in your control, in your sovereign hand as you are leading our life. And in that, we will learn Contentment. Father, we love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.